live inside Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. Barber's a running back, hits the handoff, jumps over the top. Jackpot, baby! Touchdown, Raiders! Good snap, good hold. Jackpot, baby! The Raiders become the first team in history of the NFL to win their first three games against teams that all won at least 10 games the previous season. 31-28. Bring on the Chargers. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Jackpot, baby. Prince had a chance to use that a lot with his prolific offense. 382 in the air yesterday for the Raiders. Near heart attack for many Raiders fans. <laughs> that was dramatic. End of the game, end of regulation, overtime, field goals, safeties, freaking Dolphins can't move the ball all game. All of a sudden, they're taking deep shots left and right. Incredible stuff. We'll go through all of it here in the 4 o'clock hour. we got Monday Night Football coming up on ESPN Las Vegas shortly after 5 o'clock. Twin Peaks is the spot to watch. I'm hanging out here throughout the first half. We've got cool prizes, including a pair of Vegas Golden Knights tickets to give away on the scene here at Twin Peaks, so get down here. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. I'd like to be a little creative in uh, teasing this one, but I'll simply go with Aaron Rodgers is ridiculous again. I mean, it is nuts what this guy does with almost no time on the clock. He freaking did it again. Here's uh, some highlights of Rodgers getting the job done and handing it off for someone else to finish the job, and uh, Mason Crosby did it. Rodgers in the shotgun. Here's the snap. Looking left. Pumps, throws, left side of the end zone. Touchdown! A sensational throw and catch to MVS to beat Lenore in the corner of the end zone. And the Packers on the board leading 23-14. to Kick to the upright. And it is good! It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby has done it again! 51-yard walk-off field goal to win it for the Packers. Final score, Green Bay 30, San Francisco 28. A dagger and late night dagger in the Bay Area. There you go. Wayne Larravee on the call, flipping his wig on those two calls. Very good stuff there. I mean, I got to say, with 37 seconds left, uh, most of us are Aaron Rodgers Believers, or we fear Aaron Rodgers. Did you think he could get it done? Do you think he could get down the field with no freaking timeouts? For only a field goal, absolutely. Without question. And I saw multiple videos on social media last night. TikTok clips of Green Bay fans in the building. During the celebration of the 49ers touchdown with 37 seconds left, all looking and saying, yeah, they left too much time on the clock. We're going to be all right. No problem. And then the 49ers defense went out there and helped Aaron Rodgers get it done by somehow not covering Devontae Adams. It looked like they were playing 
some sort of 20 or 30-yard deep zone in which Devontae Adams could just find soft spots in the middle, although the throw from Rodgers to get them to midfield was maybe one of the best of his career in terms of accuracy. Oh, my God, the touch on that thing? Um, one question, not to be a downer about the victory, did you think it was a little bit weird? I could swear, and I have to watch a replay, I could swear Devontae Adams was out cold on the field. Like, it was so freaky when he got hit earlier, a helmet-to-helmet, that I was like, they never show close-ups of something like this on TV. He goes to the sideline, and it was like, run in the tent, run out the other end, back onto the field. Like, wow. Yeah, I've had multiple concussions in my life, and watching the game last night and saw Devontae Adams walking off the field and saw that sort of like furrowed brow but distant look and thought to myself yep that guy's got a concussion like the look was just the look I felt enough times that I looked at him and when he came back in and it turns out they measured this he came back in from the time he was off the field being evaluated to coming back in was less time than he was down on the field being treated even if it's right, it looks terrible. The NFL is trying to put this independent uh, concussion spotter thing in place throughout the league. I shouldn't say trying to. They've been doing it for a while now. Um, the league reviewed it, said that the nine, uh, I should say the Packers followed all of the uh, appropriate protocols. But, man, it just it looks like exactly what they're trying to get rid of in the league. And I don't want too much focus to go on to that as opposed to the fact that that was a dirty hit that should have been called, that wasn't called. I thought Terry McAuliffe did a good job of explaining why the official couldn't see it, but that's on the league for having the official be out of position not to be able to see that. Number four. Derek Carr is flying high right now. 382 in the air yesterday. 12.03 on the season. Another overtime victory. He was so geeked up that he even carved out a little time to, what, talk a little trash about... His uh, alma mater, Fresno State, with the victory on Friday night against the Rebels. Fresno State won. Hey, a win is a win. Uh, they made it. Hey, I'm not going to let y'all have moral victories. I don't get them. Yeah, I don't get them. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm assuming too much because this is kind of a inside story. Candy, I'm guessing that car isn't dialed into moral victory gate which uh many of you folks in the media and i'm in the media too have been very very dialed in on marcus arroyo moral victory gate you think he knew he he can't be referencing those comments right i don't know steve we know the car family takes in a lot of media oh wow the the cars are always paying attention team car team car might have told him about it you never know I, I don't think Derek Carr. Do you want to explain uh, the genesis of this? Uh, I do. The, the oh, beginning I of this yes, That's so I, many. I, that's I so do. many of you folks love from uh, game one with UNLV. So many. Yes. So many of you folks doing the same job you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So many of us. Uh, us out here. Um, Marcus Arroyo. Because, because I'm not wrapped up in it. Because I heard it and I was like, well, I think that was. That was not really what he meant to say, but no, man, it, stuck, so it stuck to him. It stuck to him. So after the Eastern Washington loss. Marcus Arroyo talked about how uh, he wasn't going to take any moral victories out of losing to an FCS team. And we're all sitting here kind of like, good, because there aren't any moral victories to take out of losing to an FCS team. This wasn't Alabama. 
Um, and so it, it was a very odd thing to say. Um, but I'll tell you what. Marcus Arroyo doesn't want moral victories. Guess what he got in Fresno? He got a big, fat moral victory that whether he wants it or not, I'm delivering it to his door. I'm ringing the doorbell, and I'm saying, Marcus, here you go. Big moral victory. Because that's a ranked Fresno State team that UNLV had multiple two-score leads on, on the road, on a short week. There are lots of actual moral victories to take out of that game. That is the game that has moral victories that you build on, that you say, hey, this is growth in our program, even though we didn't win. Right. And he actually he did mention, you know, we're not into that after the, the Fresno game. I, I actually wonder where a program has to be. Let's talk in college football. Where a program has to be where you make the transition from saying moral victories to actually being outraged that you didn't win a game. Like, do UNLV fans have a right after that game to go, gee, damn it, we should have won that game? Not UNLV fans. No? No, no, no. I mean, look, you and I have had this discussion over and over again. So the question is, do UNLV fans believe in what Marcus Arroyo is selling them, which is that this is stage zero of a rebuild? Or do they believe in the prices that are now being charged to go to the stadium because those suggest that they should be able to demand a little bit more out of their team? Got to pay more to see the team. You should be able to demand more out of the product. Now, Marcus Arroyo, in year, what, 1.5-ish of a rebuild, is the one out there saying that his team is growing, they're building a culture, et cetera, et cetera. He's not going to take any moral victories out of it? Fine. Don't take any moral victories out of it. I am. I am. As someone who's watched UNLV football since 1989, these are the moments that I think every UNLV fan has to latch on to. This is what you get for now. This is the best you can ask for. Hopefully in a couple of years, since that's the question you asked, hopefully in a couple of years, you can be mad when you don't win that game. Uh, give you a couple updates from Arroyo Media Availability today. Uh, one, Doug Brumfield status for Saturday in San Antonio, where they're over a two-touchdown dog against UTSA. Uh, they don't have an answer yet because he went out in the first half and they went out again in the second half. First half apparently was like a full body cramp. Second half... It was just described as re-aggravating previous injuries, um, which, to my knowledge, the previous injuries were a chest and an abdomen. I saw them working on his left leg a lot, and he was limping around. Um, the kid's beat up right now, and I hope he can go for UTSA, but uh, they're not going to know uh, his status probably until tomorrow or Wednesday. QB3, like that would have been nice to have Tate Martell for a couple of plays here and there against Fresno. Well, he was in a walking boot on Tuesday last week, short week, wasn't available to play, did not make the trip to Fresno. Uh, Arroyo described the injury as plantar fasciitis, which sucks. I've never had it, but I've heard it sucks. So he was hinting today at uh, maybe, 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 maybe UTSA, but we might have to take him, as he said it, through the bye week. So you probably won't have Tate Martell. And then the other one that really I don't, I don't even know if they mentioned it on TV, but the Rebels' best receiver is Kyle Williams. He was a late scratch right before the game because he had a hammy injury going in. He aggravated it a bit right before the game. He was pissed going off the field. Well, he didn't play in the game. They're hoping to get him back for this game. So, Rebels not only trying to overcome, you know, the fact that they're building. They don't have their complete roster that they want. They've had some bad luck at quarterback with injuries, but now they're getting injured in other areas. Top three stories. 
Number three. Back to the Raiders. Boy, I saw Brian Flores after the game. Miami loses. Quote, it's a hard place to play, talking about Allegiant, with the noise and the environment here. Wow. All right. Home field advantage already for the young Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr, after the game, talked about the crowd and gaining confidence, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I, I, I do, you know. And I think I think we saw in training camp their confidence. Um you know, the, the excitement Gus brings, you know, Coach Coach Bradley brings and their staff, um, you know, the, the guys that we bring in, like I said, they're adults, you know, and, and they're, they're not green bananas, like I keep saying. Like these these guys are ready to play. And so they're used to that, that atmosphere um, and getting excited, making the big play. You know, you know Denzel Perryman, he's, he's absolutely bl- – obliterating people out there and I I love it you know and it's uh it's fun for me you know when C Wood was here the crowd would get excited and you 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 just knew C Wood was going to make a play you know he was going to get in there he's going to make a play you know you knew Khalil was going to get in there and strip the ball we were going to win the game you knew, and it's starting to feel that way with these guys someone's going to someone's going to make the hit someone Trey, Trayvon Mullen at the end is that big play I know they end up getting a field goal but that's a huge play knocking that ball away you know that that stuff is so exciting and I'm, I you see their confidence rising uh, and and th- we're only three games in. You know they they got stuff they want to clean up too. But hopefully, just like us, we can clean it up and start playing some more cleaner football for four four quarters or five. <laughs> the development of the home field advantage is going to be really fascinating moving forward, Candy. Uh, one, I wasn't in the stadium. I was actually uh, across the street at Crazy Horse Three. And talking to people who were in the stadium, and actually, by the way, a lot of Dolphins fans came over after the game to Crazy Horse Story right across the street from the stadium. Um, some people said that the Dolphins fans got kind of loud as well. This is still going to be kind of a, a growing thing here. Um, what happens when the Bears are in town? What happens when the Eagles are in town? What is that home field advantage going to be like? It's strange that there's a home field advantage for both teams, seemingly, right? <laughs> uh, there, there's a little bit of both. Um, I'm not surprised by Vegas because whether you want to believe in the whole idea of the uh, Rowdy Raiders fan base or if you just want to look at the Golden Knights. Golden Knights fans have created one of the loudest atmospheres in all of the NHL. You hear players who come and play for the team, like Alex Petrangelo, say, yeah, it, it was really hard to come into this building and play. Well, Raiders fans are going to make it the same. But, of course, we talked about many times the economics of this stadium are such that there are going to be five figures worth of opposing fans in the game every week. They're going to be there all eight weeks to cheer on their team because we want people to make a trip of it. Come spend money in Vegas, please. But that comes with a trade-off. That said, think of the two games, Steve, that the Raiders have given their fans to watch. They've given them two absolute classic heart attack games to get into like this isn't the kind of game where you have to wonder are the fans going to leave early neither of them let's get to the top two stories number two henry ruggs ryan edwards barber as well at running back pretty amazing the progress that the young guys are making let's have him talk about getting rugs and edwards involved definitely challenged them um you know and they they stepped up you know, I playing against these corners, um, that defense. You go back to last year, how many turnovers they caused, and go back. And you, know, you watch them on film, and 
how sticky their coverage is on some really good receivers and the fact they were able to create separation, go up and make huge plays. Um, you know, it just gives me so much confidence. And it doesn't just happen in games. This confidence started back in camp, started before camp at 6 a.m., throwing it, you know, I won't say what sports park, but people are probably figuring it out, uh, you know, in Vegas that we throw at, you know. And uh, I'm just so proud uh, of their work ethic because it's, it's showing up during the games, you know, like for Zay, for, uh, you know, Henry, for Brian. I, I, I gained confidence in them. You know, they, they, they were our starters in camp, and they earned it, and they, they proved it every day. And now we're getting into games, and they're making some huge plays for us. And, uh, you know, I think that that's a big thing in a young guy is just getting confidence, you know, making plays against good teams, against good players. Uh, that should give you all the confidence in the world that you can do it week in and week out. Pretty amazing numbers for Brian Edwards on the season now. He's got six catches for 101 in regulation. He's got four catches for 109 in overtime. Steve, we've never worried about John Gruden, the offensive coordinator, when he throws the ball. We know he can scheme up a passing offense. problem with Gruden has been that we can't get him to throw the ball more. Um, And he's certainly unleashed Derek Carr this year. We've seen the fact that he is able to get his receivers open and that, uh, you know, they, they put big expectations on Brian Edwards, right? We heard comparisons to Terrell Owens, to Randy Moss, to this and that. Well, obviously, he's not going to be any of those guys. But just be a reliable option, and that's why the Raiders have four receivers with 200-plus yards. Number one. Well, you know it was coming. Cofield and Company is a pump-the-brakes type of show, right? Until you get to 17-0 and and then win the Super Bowl. We're always going to point out that, hey, there are two sides to the story. So the Raiders game yesterday, kudos. As we heard from Brent Musburger like 20 minutes ago, they just came out of the gates and won three games against teams last year that won 10 or more games. That's big. They just won two close games that had to go to overtime. They had to overcome mistakes on both sides of the ball. We'll get to the O-line. They've overcome some you know rough performances by a lot of their new offensive linemen. So that's good. Right? They've got young guys emerging. They've got a defense that looks better. But two of these games were razor thin. They were coin flips. But they got it done. And guess what? Last year, they didn't get it done. And the year before, they didn't get it done in similar situations. And that's why they were finishing right around 500, Candy, after they were in contention for the playoffs. These are two massive wins, game one and game three, to file away. That's awesome. Would you like to pump the brakes a little bit on some of the stuff you saw? And we've been talking about the media. There, we had certain media members in particular who were very, very geeked up about the victory. Very geeked up. Yay! That's what I feel like. Yay! As we hear from certain media members um, <laughs> who want this to be a good team. I don't care whether they're a good team. That's they not- wa- oh, that, what an out! They want them to be a good team. Well, be, you know, a good team is fun to follow. They are more fun to follow. I don't care if they're a good team. That's kind of the idea of media to me. Um, I saw multiple stories yesterday, though, talking about how the Raiders have belief in themselves, and that's why they were able to win. Just stop with that crap, please. Do, do you think there's a team out there that goes out and says, you know what, we thought we had a chance to win in overtime, but we didn't have belief in ourselves? No. You have a quarterback who was the best quarterback on the field. You have a coach who was a better offensive coach. You had players who made better plays. That's it. That's it. So that part, 
you can't take away the 3-0 and from the Raiders, and I don't want to take away the 3-0. and But I want you to think about how they got there. And I want you to think about the fact that the win against Baltimore, I'm not going to say a thing about. All right? So give me that much credit. That's legit. Baltimore's legit. But that Pittsburgh team, 10 wins last year, 11 wins last year, however many wins last year, stop it. Come on. We've talked ad nauseum about the schedule that team faced and the way they collapsed at the end of the year. So that Pittsburgh team is not a team that you need to think this is a great Raider win, especially since they lost T.J. Watt early in that game. And this one last week, come on, they should beat the Dolphins at home. But the Raiders haven't always won the games. They should. Yep. Give them credit. So here are the things that I worry about, Cofield. This offensive line is not playing well. And you probably look at it and say, well, hold on. What do you mean they're not playing well? Pro football focus grades say that Alex Leatherwood has been the lowest-graded tackle in the league. Andre James has been the lowest-graded center in the league. John Simpson, there are only six out of 72 guards who have rated lower than Simpson. So there are long-term issues that some teams might be able to expose here with the Raiders. That being said, when it comes to figuring out who goes to the playoffs, they don't ask what the PFF grades are. They ask, did you win those games? And the Raiders have done that so far. More on the offensive line. We'll talk about the uh, defensive effort yesterday, some of Gruden's coaching moves from a uh, tactical standpoint. Lots of rap on a crazy Raider game. Bottom line, though, they won. They're 3-0. and It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Agnew. Brings it out of the end zone. Agnew. Still Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. Gus going full Gus. We'll get to uh, some of our betting this weekend. I will tell you, I was not happy when I saw that play, having money in multiple fronts on the Cardinals. Incredible play. Incredible play. And uh, maybe, maybe a little reason for hope. With the Jaguars. Again, that was courtesy CBS. 109 yards. It comes all the way back. All right, Candy. So we've got a 3-0 and team now in the Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, it's interesting. Yesterday I listened to the postgame show. Man, one of the first calls on there mentioned, hey, you know what? Happy that they won and they're winning games like this. And then went, like, for 90 seconds on – this is wrong, that's wrong, this is a problem, we screwed this up, Gruden this, Carr this, and I had a list of complaints. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. A win is not always just a win, right? We can get indicators in a win of what the rest of the season may be like if certain things don't get fixed. So you just talked about the offensive line. You know, we were asking Solomon Wilcox, former NFL player and does work with SiriusXM. We are asking him, hey, you know, you do some work for Pro Football Focus. 
the line, the offensive line, is getting all these bad numbers. Why is this still working? And his answer was, hey, they've overcome the line to a certain extent in the passing game, you know, quick, 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 quick. Is that how you see it? Like, how how is this working? And then, hell, Peyton Barber went off yesterday. How is this working as well as it is when the individuals on the line outside of Colton Miller, by the numbers, have struggled? This is where Gruden, the offensive coordinator, comes in. This is why when we drag Gruden for some of the personnel decisions, we don't talk about Gruden, the play caller, because when Gruden, the play caller, passes the ball, he has really good concepts, he has a quarterback who makes them work, and he has receivers who clearly are maturing into the system. Um, To be able to cover up this line, you're right, it does take getting rid of the ball. It's not just this line. This was one of the stats that they put out on the Sunday Night Football broadcast last night about Aaron Rodgers and how Green Bay, with a makeshift line, was avoiding San Francisco's pass rush by getting the ball out quickly. They had 16 plays where they showed under 2.5 seconds the ball coming out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. That's how they're getting some of it done. The run blocking hasn't been there. The run game hasn't been there. Peyton Barber broke a couple uh, that, frankly, were a lot more about Miami missing than they were about the Raiders blocking them up all that well. And I think you have to apply the same thing, Cofield, to the defensive side of the ball. I think you have to look at it and say, okay, the pass rush is obviously better. Obviously. Whether it's Ngakwe, whether it's what Ngakwe does for Crosby, whether it's their confidence in the linebackers behind them, whatever it is. Whether it's Casey Hayward in the secondary, whether you think Trayvon Mullen has grown up or whether you think he got away with a really bad pass interference like Jonathan Abram did yesterday, uh, you realize that there are better pieces of this defense. They have faced, in this order, Lamar Jackson, who is much better known for his running and his playmaking than his passing. He is right now 30th in adjusted completion percentage in the NFL. The corpse of Ben Roethlisberger and Jacoby Brissett. So just take the grain of salt, be happy with 3-0, but realize that this 3-0 is not predictive of anything. For the Raiders. Now, you're going to get a real referendum this week, right, Cofield? Justin Herbert's going to show you whether or not this pass defense, this pass rush is for real, especially the pass defense in the back end. No doubt. Uh, if you watched the Chiefs and Chargers yesterday, the Chiefs had all sorts of trouble. The scary thing with the Chargers, yeah, Herbert, I don't think has regressed. He looks about as good as he did last year. He, his arm gets him pretty much anywhere he wants, if you didn't appreciate Keenan Allen, anything that Herbert throws that is not on the mark, Keenan Allen still catches. The scary part is if 6'5", Mike Williams, who has not been able to stay healthy, does what he did yesterday. He actually had a couple of key drops, which I, I thought was fascinating that Herbert, even after Mike Williams had two drops, still went back to him two more times, and he got the late touchdown. If Mike Williams is a weapon. We already know Eckler's a giant pain in the ass, right? Running and coming out of the backfield. They, I mean, they, they started getting downhill with Eckler late in the game. They were monsters. And, and they have, a, by the way, they have a new offensive line. So, there, you know, there's been some warts with Slater. He played great in the first game. He had a terrible false start yesterday to set up, you know, go from a fourth and four to a fourth and nine. Now, the Chargers have a, a lot of scary elements. They're gonna, they are absolutely going to test the, the Raiders' defense. Mike Williams might be the single most important receiver to the fate of the AFC West. Wow. Because if you think about this offense and the difference in this offense 
when Mike Williams, the physical freak that he is, is on the field. And what he does in terms of how you defend Keenan Allen, that makes more difference, I think, than any number two, number three kind of player out there. I mean, yeah, obviously. Is he more important than Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey? No. But let's give everyone their best player. Let's give those two to Kansas City. Let's give Darren Waller to the Raiders. Let's give Cortland Sutton to the Broncos. Who matters the most? To me, it's Mike Williams and whether or not he's healthy. Ooh, it's getting good down here. It's getting good down here at Twin Peaks on Eastern. Monday Night Football is coming up. Bitter rivals, the Cowboys and the Eagles. I was asking you earlier, do you know any couples where their allegiances are split? Let's see. I've got a couple to the right, both with Eagles. One with a jersey, one with a jersey. Oh, no. Across the way. Emmett Smith and Donovan McNabb are sitting together? Oh, yeah. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. On its way. It bounces off the crossbar, and it's good. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Did that just happen, Greg? Kick on the way. It is up, and it is off the crossbar and through oh my goodness are you kidding me justin tucker from 66 the longest field goal in the history of the nfl has just beaten the detroit lions hanging at twin peaks for monday night football it's cofield and company i mean that's just ridiculous Justin Tucker, 66 yards. You know, Candy, you and I are massive fans of play-by-play and radio play-by-play. Doing play-by-play for a bad team and a bad organization ain't easy at all. The first call you heard there was uh, Gumble on, what, CBS, and then the second call was the Lions Radio Network, and... That guy's name is Dan Miller. He's really good. He's been around for like 16 years. And the thing is, he didn't go immediately into mope mode. Like, you knew what was happening. Even in a gut-wrenching, very lion-esque loss. And my God, folks, if you saw if you saw Dan Campbell after the play, he had kind of a wry smile like, boy, oh, boy. I wanted to bite kneecaps. What did I sign up for here? feel like Wayne Fonts right now. That's not a good feeling. In case you're wondering, no, it's not good to feel like Wayne Fonts, although there were some successful Detroit teams with Wayne Fonts. <laughs> there, uh, there actually were. Yeah. Um, uh, who, wait, hold on. Uh, it felt like, uh, who do we go with? Who was just terrible? Actually, the last guy was terrible, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. As long as you, do, you know what? As long as you don't go with Jim Caldwell, you're fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, go with Matt Patricia. But anyway, um, what I loved about that call from Lions Radio, by the way, uh, I know this is inside baseball, but he captured not only the moment of defeat, but the historic moment at the same time, right? Yeah. The longest field goal in NFL history just beat the Detroit Lions. Like, that manages to take everything in the moment and put it into one spot. That's really well done. You know, and we're talking about the Raiders being 3-0. and There's some warts in this whole thing. Yesterday's game was back and forth, and, and there's some – Weird moments that, you know, in, in overtime, it's like, John, just kick the field goal. Please just kick the field goal. Stop. Play after play. Just, just do it. But they're winning games. Uh, Gruden afterwards talked about the fact that, uh, hey, you know, these, these close games, you get wins. You, you get a lot from it. 
yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I don't, uh, I don't apologize for winning, winning these games, no matter how we won them. You know, had we made an extra point, maybe we're not uh, out there so long. Uh, had we not thrown the interception, it got run back. Perhaps it's a better deal. But when you're down 14 to nothing and score 25 unanswered in the NFL against a team like that, something's something's going right. But uh, we got to finish better. Uh, there, there were some catastrophic plays today, and you can write them and, and list them, and we're lucky to overcome those. Almost catastrophic as well when Jacoby Brissett kept taking deep shot after deep shot. So Gruden here talks about the play of Trayvon Mullen. I just think he's coming around. You know, we got some young players that uh, are getting better. We've, we've seen Crosby. Now we're seeing Mullen, um, Ruggs, Edwards. Some of these young guys are really improving, and I think Trayvon has, has backed up what he's done all summer. He's had a great training camp. He's a lot more mature and confident, and you can't credit Ron Milas, his secondary coach. He's, he's outstanding. He's done this before with a lot of young defenders wherever he's been, and his, um, his talents are, are paying off as well. And as Candy said earlier, yeah, you know what? Nice, nice to get the uh, kind of the veteran call every once in a while, not have a flag thrown every freaking play. You know, I wonder if Jacoby Brissett almost surprised the officials in a couple of spots. They didn't throw the ball deep all day long, yeah. and then they throw it deep a couple of times. And Jonathan Abram on one of those plays, a hundred percent should have been called for pass interference and, and wasn't. And the officials are like, "Whoa, whoa wait, hold, hold on a second. You want us to do something back here?" <laughs> Mullen? Better. Better. Look, again, this is one of those great situations to illustrate our point. This season, with Casey Hayward there and Trayvon Mullen, you can look at you got a veteran, you got a young guy, and it's great for this year, and you hope it holds up, right? You hope it holds up. But when you come down to it, you still need to be able to hit on your first-round picks like Damon Arnett for it to sustain long-term. Thus far, it's working for the Raiders, though. Dallas, three-and-a-half total. It was a very aggressive 51-and-a-half. We'll, uh, we'll give our leans and likes here as we uh, close things out at Twin Peaks on Eastern. Great chance to come down, win some prizes, including a pair of tickets to uh, one of the preseason tilts with the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, Twin Peaks is on Eastern and cool drink specials under 4 bucks. Crowd is building, and like I said, uh, we've got we've got a couple that just walked in, one wearing a Cowboys jersey, one wearing an Eagles jersey. Uh, this place is going to be loud. These two fan bases do not like each other. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. I'm not sure. I mean, different guys say say things for different reasons. I guess. I mean, I guess that that helps some people's confidence. But I'm, I'm not a big talker. I, I go out and just, like I said, just play my game week in and week out. I mean, you might see me, you know, chirping back and forth if if someone says something to me in the game. But that's about it. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. We'll get to our Cowboys-Eagles plays, if we have any. Three and a half, 51 and a half is the total. The game kicks off right here on ESPN Las Vegas in less than 30 minutes. Quick roundup, Candy, of what went down yesterday with us on the betting front. Uh, first of all, we played the CBS call of the Tucker 66-yarder, the Lions call. Ari, give me the Ravens radio call. Tucker's kick is on the way. It is good. Off the crossbar, and it tumbles through. It is good. Time has expired. Justin Tucker with the longest field goal in NFL history. The hay is in the barn, and it's mayhem on the field. 
Oh my God. You've just seen I just history. Lost my mind. You have just oh seen and God. heard history as Justin Tucker, eight years after he hit a 61 yarder to win in Detroit, has silenced the crowd with the longest field goal in NFL history 66 yards. Crazy moment. Candy, I don't know if you saw the bevy of videos from actually in the stadium behind. The crossbar, the uprights at Ford Field. Fans were like, please, no, no. Now, that that angle, obviously, you could actually tell the ball bounced through. When I was watching that game, I was trying to keep an eye. It, it was like coinciding with the end of the Chargers and Chiefs, right? And luckily, the place I was at had like a good, you know, swinging, what are they called? Uh, I don't know, one of those bar chairs, the stools that go back and forth. And I was like, new, 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 back and forth. So I'm looking up. That's a chair turning noise. I'm looking up at the Chiefs charge. I look over and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to kick a field goal here. And I got to tell you, on that field goal, I absolutely thought it fell like 10 yards short. I couldn't tell. And I'm like, that bounced off the crossbar and went back? That never happens. I didn't need to see anybody's videos. I had a buddy who was at the game who was sitting down in one of the corners where that kick went in, and he said it looked like it was going to be 10 yards short the whole time. Yep. Uh, On the betting front, you know, I like to listen to Johnny Von Tobel, yourself, and and, and lots of our gambling experts, and I'm like, Mm. wow, that that tees through two critical numbers. I'm going to try a two-teamer every week. Yeah, so far I'm 0-3. Yesterday it was Cardinals, who had to come back, and Ravens. Ravens minus one and a half. Oof. I'll take it, but 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 I didn't nail that one. Congrats to you, by the way, because my second leg, um, I had the Rams plus seven and a half on one leg of my teasers. And Good job. the Chiefs minus a half. Oh, boy. No, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Not good. Um, I shied away from mentioning my one of my best bets because my best bet on Sunday morning at the Westgate was the Giants. Oh, boy. I bet him in-game. Money line at minus 105. Didn't get that. Um, you gave out the Minnesota Vikings. Seahawks. I actually During the week, I said I really liked the Vikings, and I kind of backed off on Sunday morning. And then uh, you were in great shape. What the hell happened? Uh, you mean when I was up 17-7 to and yes. Kirk Cousins was about to give the ball back and then Seattle got called for a defensive holding on third down and the whole thing fell apart from there. The, the funny part about that is uh, if you weren't listening to our show on Sunday morning, first of all, why not? Uh, but second of all, you would have heard John Murray from the Westgate Superbook essentially try to talk me off that Seattle bet. Oh, boy. Um, and... You even said, are you sticking with Seattle? I am not deterred. I'm sticking with the Seahawks. Guess what? Uh, Johnny Murray also tried to talk me off the Giants, and I'm a glutton for punishment because I should have known you got two bad teams reeling right now. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? And and listen, you're a Giants fan, so I'm sure you watched some of the game. The Giants moved up and down the field in the first half. And then if I'm correct, didn't it go to break 7-6? I'm like, how are they not up? They moved up and down the field, were leading 6 nothing, and then gave up a touchdown right before the end of the half to uh, oh to be down. And uh, and then life as a Giants fan continued as is. Yep. My college football, Oregon State plus win, Clemson minus 10 loss, Iowa State money line in the game minus 115, still couldn't win. 
and Notre Dame plus six and a half. And then the NFL, same thing in game. I kind of split. I mentioned the Giants in game. Cardinals, uh, second half, eight and a half. That covered. How about this one? Washington football team plus 22 and a half. Thank you. Wow. I mean, that should not have been. I mean, that's a barely moment, huh? Uh, and then, oh my God. The, the freaking slowly perishing Steelers plus 12 and a half in play. Couldn't freaking score in the fourth quarter. A meaningless touchdown to get it to, you know, six, seven, or eight. Um, I also had the Euros in the Ryder Cup. Oops. But I also bounced back with, uh, I didn't even get to see the fight, but apparently Nick Diaz and UFC had giant man boobs. And uh, he lost to Robbie Lawler. So I had taken Lawler back on Wednesday when I heard uh, Nick Diaz was begging out of the weight to go from 170 to 185. Never a good sign if you can't make the weight. So, Cofield, I, um, I did not have my finest weekend of NFL. It sounded like it. I didn't want to rub wagering. it in. I didn't want no, to rub it so in. So obviously the Seahawks didn't uh, didn't get there. I had uh, Washington football team plus seven and a half pregame. I thought they would be more competitive and were not. Uh, Cardinals and Jags under. That got there. Um, that was a little bit of sweat to get there, but it got there. Um, Jameis Winston, no interception, plus 170. Probably still my favorite bet of the day. Wow. Has to be my favorite bet of the day because my Seattle bet was such a disaster, and I decided to chase a little bit. I chased. I was a little mad. Here we go. I was like, you know what? I'll take once it went up to 51 and a half on Green Bay and San Francisco. thought, yep, that's what I want. That spot right there. And so I, too, wanted Matt LaFleur to go for it up 24-21. And hold the ball a little bit longer. And maybe even run the game out at 24-21. But uh, that and over as well. I got a little greedy. I had it up on my screen. Dolphins plus 10.5 when they were down 25-14. And by the time I went to bet it, the sports book that I was betting with rejected the bet and moved it down to 8.5. And, and I said, no, I don't want 8.5. I wanted 10.5. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, Cowboys three and a half totals fifty one and a half. Eagles, which side are you taking? Uh, a, this is a no thank you for me. Uh, I, yep. I, if you made me take something, I'd take Eagles. Um, but, but that's more about the uncertainty and the fact that you have one team getting three and a half. I don't like either side. I would bet the Cowboys to win, but I'm not doing money line and I'm not doing three and a half. I'll go with a prop. I think uh, Zeke is the guy tonight. I'm not saying he has a big night, but they're going against a, a good defensive front even without Graham. So with Pollard, I'm going to go under 35 and a half yards. Cheer for me, please. Twin Peaks, you come down and watch the game with Cofield and company. we got VGK tickets to give away. It's on Eastern. Beer specials under four bucks. Appetizers, two, four, and six. Candy, Ari, good job. We'll see you down here at Twin Peaks on Eastern.